good to see all of you here today. I'm so glad that you are here with us. We're wrapping up a series called Uniquely Made, where we're looking at different biblical characters and using this personality type called the Enneagram to better understand how God made each one of us uh, and also what it means to love and care for the people that are in our lives. Pastor Glenn will be back next week. He's actually, uh, him and his wife, Kimberly, uh, are at the Packers game. Tomorrow they'll be at the Packers game. They're in Green Bay right now. And so, um, yeah, we love Pastor Glenn. Let's give it up for Pastor Glenn and him taking some time to be with his wifey. We're so excited about that. But next week we jump into a brand new series on the parables of Jesus, the stories that he told and what they mean. And so we are so excited uh, for that. But yeah, we are wrapping up our series and this has been such a fun series. I mean, each week to get to interact with different people as they've discovered how God made them has just been so exciting. Um, we had a, uh, one week we had a four that was sitting over here somewhere and it was her very first Sunday at church. Now, you know fours because they are the romantic romantic individualists, okay? They wear their heart on their sleeve. They watch the Verizon commercials and they're like, they answered the phone. Like, it's amazing. You know what I mean? They're just like that kind of emotional person. And so anyways, this four showed up to church and this was her very first time at our church and Pastor Lisa had been talking about fours and she cried during the whole service. I'm not laughing at them. That's just awesome. She cried during the whole service and felt like this place gets me. I, I had another woman come up who uh, is an eight. She's the challenger. And uh, uh, during the prayer time up front, she came up and said, you know, uh, there, there's some qualities about my eightness that are not healthy and that are impacting me negatively at work. Can you just pray for us? And so our hope and our encouragement, uh, our hope and our desire is that this has been an encouraging series for you. Well, there was another couple that I talked to this week, and up to this point in the series, this stuff, it, it wasn't personally relating to them yet. I mean, they, they saw other people in their lives who carry these numbers, but they didn't feel like it was their number yet. And what they did is they went online to purposechurch.com tools this week, and they decided to take the test. And, and this website is going to be up there for a while, if not forever. Go on to that website. If you haven't taken the Enneagram test yet, go to that website. We're keeping all of our sermons there through the entire series. We We've got tons of resources. Actually, the creative communications team just added a video up there that Tracy Morrow sent to uh, Pastor Lisa and I. It's this amazing church um, that did a parody of the song Bohemian Rhapsody, okay? And they did a, a, a Bohemian Rhapsody a parody song about the Enneagram. It is gold. You guys got to go on there. It's on our website. Um, but you can also take the test. Well, this couple, this married couple took the test and they realized they are both nines, which is absolutely Phenomenal, and that's what we're talking about today is we're talking about the nine, the peacemaker, the peaceful mediator. And we're gonna use the apostle John who walked with Jesus because in his context, in his time, he was pastoring a, a group of churches that was experiencing conflict. They were experiencing some tension. There was some theological differences. There were some relational issues going on. And John had to leverage his nineness in order to bring this community together. But before we jump into that passage, let's better understand the nines in our community. See if any of this relates to you or to the people that you love. Nines are the peacemaker. They are the peaceful mediator. They are the easygoing, self-effacing type. They're receptive, reassuring, stable, and indecisive. Here's a more further uh, explanation. Nines are accepting. They're trusting and they're stable. They are usually creative, optimistic, and supportive, but can also be too willing to go along with others to keep the peace. 
They want everything to go smoothly and to be without conflict, but they can also tend to be complacent, simplifying problems and minimizing anything upsetting. They typically have problems with inertia and stubbornness. At their best, they are indomitable. Wow, I haven't said that word in a while. They are indomitable. They are all embracing and they are able to bring people together and heal conflicts. Nines are so great at healing conflicts, but at times they can lose sight of who they are. In fact, sometimes they're completely unaware about how they feel about a situation. It's like if you ask a nine where you want to go to dinner, you won't go to dinner that night. Like they just, they have a challenging time coming up with where they want to go for dinner. And, and my sister, Kelly, she is a nine. And so I asked her to send me from her perspective, what's it like being a nine? And this is what she said. This is such a classic nine. She said, is it weird, Eric, that when you asked me what it's like to be a nine, my first thought was, what does he want to hear, right? As such a nine, what does he want to hear? Nines are chameleons. We relate to people and reflect their personality in order to empathize and help them. But sometimes we lose ourselves in the process. For a nine, they have a core fear of loss and separation. They have a basic desire to have inner stability and peace of mind. When you're communicating with a nine and they're really healthy, it might be like this. When I'm doing well, I am kind. I am a good listener. I'm easy to be with. I'm receptive and open, non-judgmental, peaceful, optimistic, warm, and fully engaged with others and life. But when one isn't doing well, they can meander in, they would say, I can meander in my talk style since I am unsure of what I think and feel. I can be passive aggressive, detached, stubborn, and avoid conflict by going along to get along. Pastor Greg, our group's pastor here and one of our executive pastors here, he is a nine. He's actually in Kenya right now training um, a bunch of pastors, which is really exciting. And as he was out there, him and I were texting back and forth, and this is how he described his nineness. He said, being a nine, my antennas are always up to see how everyone else is getting along around me. Well, John, the apostle John, found himself in a situation where people were not getting along around him. And what I think he wants to share with us is four practical next steps that all of us can take. And if you're a nine, it'll apply. But for the rest of us, these are four practical steps that we can take to better become more like Christ and to have better and healthier relationships. So find me in 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. If you're the note-taking type, go ahead and write this down. First big idea is this. Suppressed pain or sin will eventually make itself known. Suppressed pain or sin will eventually make itself known. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So John says, love one another. And then in the original Greek, it's not as much of a command. He doesn't say, so don't be like Cain. In fact, it says, love one another, not like Cain, which is kind of a classic, healthy, awesome nine in that rather than like forcefully telling you something, they're sort of suggesting something, but it's like a really important suggestion, like, hey, don't murder people. Like, that's kind of an important one to lean into. But what, what is revealed in this passage, in this, this verse right here, these two verses, is that something nine struggle with, and really all of us struggle with, is suppressing the pain that we are experiencing. 
even worse, suppressing the sin that we are partaking in. And, and maybe you fall into the trap that some nines fall into where, where they're so focused on other people, it's a way of avoiding dealing with their own stuff. Friends, if you have some deep pain going on in your life, it will come out. Others around you will be affected by that. It is your job to deal with that. And so if that's celebrate recovery, if that's counseling, if that's confessing your sin, if that's opening up to people when it's uncomfortable for you and you tend to be somebody that wants to help other people, it is absolutely essential because the way pain and sin work is they don't stay put. They don't stay where you would like them to stay, but in fact, they will come out and they will affect the relationships nearest to you. Let me ask our nines a question. What pain or sin are you neglecting for the sake of others that needs to be addressed? As the passage continues, our second big idea is when your singular focus is Jesus, it will create tension in some relationships. Verse 13, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. He's saying, do not be surprised that because of the way you live, because you sacrifice, because you you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, Because you believe a life apart from Christ is not what you were designed for. And because you share that with the world, expect and anticipate that there will be some tension. You you see, Christians are not narrow-minded. Christians are singularly focused. Christians are people who believe that Jesus is really the hope of the world. When, When my son and I went on his very first plane ride together, I mean, he couldn't have been more excited that week leading up to it. You see, Charlie, he he was about two or three at the time, and he he would watch plane videos on YouTube. He would dream about planes. He was constantly talking about planes. Planes were everything for Charlie. We got him up really early that morning, and by the time we got through security, it was 6 a.m., and everyone seated around us was asleep and ready to be done with that experience and on to the next adventure, but not Charlie. In fact, Charlie had never seen a real-life plane before, and so he, he goes up to that giant glass window where there's a plane just feet away, and he smashes his face against it, right? And I can picture the Ebola that is just infecting him right now. And his face is just smashed against this. And I just watch him because for a few minutes, his eyes get real big, and he takes in this plane. He's never been this close to a plane before. And then he runs back into the center where everyone is half asleep and gathered and he stands in the middle of them and he waits about a few seconds and he goes, planes, planes at 6 a.m. Can you imagine if your kids did that? Planes. And people are freaking out, right? I mean, they don't know what to do. I'm dying laughing over in the corner. It was amazing. Charlie runs back up to the window, smashes his face against it, and gets a fresh breath of West Nile virus. And he's he's sitting there staring at these planes, and he runs back into the center. Planes! Planes! Five times he does this. Five times he does this. And I I was sitting over there, and I was going, I want my relationship with Jesus to look a little bit more like that. I want to have the kind of relationship with God where I am so obsessed with Jesus. I am so fixated on, I have this singular focus. I am all about Jesus. I don't care if people think I'm weird. I don't care if it doesn't fully make sense to them. I want to take in as much of Jesus as I can and then go and share him with everyone. Because to be a disciple, if broken down into really simple terms, is to see Jesus and to share Jesus. To see Jesus and to share Jesus. Number three, 
Number three, your capacity to love difficult people is evidence that Jesus is alive in you. Your capacity to love difficult people is evidence that Jesus is alive in you. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life, John says. How? Well, because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. John's saying the way to determine your spiritual pulse, the way to determine that you are alive in Christ is not how much knowledge you have. It's not what other people think about you and how great your reputation is. It's not even how long you've been coming to church or how long you've been a Christian. The way to measure your spiritual life, your liveliness in Christ, is in how you love the people around you. Some of you are in a life group and there's a challenging person in that life group. Some of you are in a Sunday school class and there's a challenging person there. Some of you have people at work or someone in your family, someone close to you, and it's challenging for you. You know what's a great measuring stick, a great litmus test of you being alive in Christ? It's not necessarily how many Bible verses you have memorized. It's how empowered you are to love the people that are difficult to love. What about the people sitting next to you? I mean, every week people come to our church for the very first time. And one of the primary ways they're going to decide whether they want to continue to be a part of this community is not always the preaching. It's not always the music. It's the warmth of the people that are around them. I and mean, what if we recognize it's our job to love the people that are closest to us? What does that actually look like? like what does love look like? It's our last big idea, number four, Jesus Jesus is your greatest source for experiencing and extending love. Listen to what John says. This is how we know what love is. Okay, if it was unclear up to this point, let me define it, make it crystal clear for everybody. This is what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ. He's the very definition, the very essence, the very perfect picture of love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So he says, if you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. Get a real up-close personal view of Jesus. Look at his life and what he taught. Look at his cross that he would give up, that he would sacrifice for the betterment of us, and that he actually rose from the dead, meaning he has power. And that everything he said and did is validated. That is love. That is what is compelling. The question is, what's your definition of love? Johnny Reynoso, can you come up on stage with me real quick? Johnny and I, we serve in high school ministry together. Johnny was a baseball player all growing up. He was a baseball player for Cal Poly, played third base. Um, he even coached at Claremont High um, for a little bit. And so Johnny knows a lot about baseball. Now, Johnny, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna stand over there in that corner, all right? And we're just gonna play catch. Like, this is what you do during church. So we're just gonna play catch. Um, and as we play catch, I want you to think about this baseball as the definition of love being Jesus Christ. You were created to experience and to extend his love. Not just your own definition of love, but his love. So when you're playing catch, if you played it with your kids, I mean, this is kind of how it goes, right? You just, Be careful, dude, okay, I'm like new to this, right? So what we're doing right now is we're just playing catch. I mean, we're literally experiencing and extending love, right? I mean, this is what the mitts are for. This is what this ball is for. This is what it looks like 
to play catch. This is what it looks like to experience and extend it. Now, as you think about Jesus' love and his definition being his life, his death, and his resurrection, do you know what is our problem in the world today? Our problem is we have substituted Jesus' definition of love for our own. We, we, we have a cotton ball here. It's still a ball, but it's a cotton ball, a slightly different material. And, and this represents our culture's definition of love. It represents a definition of love that says, how much is this thing going to give me? Is this going to really benefit me? Does it feel good right now? When people look at me, will they think better of me because I'm in this relationship? You see, this is our definition. Now, here's what we're going to do, Johnny. I want you to go ahead and take that, and we are going to play catch with the cotton ball. Okay, now, you played lots of college ball. I'm sure you've had lots of fans before. I know you're intimidated right now. Go ahead. Here we go, Johnny. On the count of three. One, two, three. There's a, there's a lot of people here, okay? And, and you just really embarrassed yourself, okay? I'm just saying what they're thinking. I'm just saying what they're thinking. So let's try this again. Okay, okay, here we go, here we go. So go ahead and throw that on the count of three, Johnny. Come on, you played third base. You had to throw. Here we go. All right, ready? Here we go, here we go. One, two, three. You see what happens when we have a, a weak definition of love. It doesn't go the distance, when our definition of love is anything less than Jesus, it won't last. See, some, some of you are going, why can't my marriage like come back together? What is going on? We just can't seem to figure this out. Maybe it's because your definition of love is too weak. Maybe because you're in it and you're saying, what is this person going to give me in return? Maybe it's because you continue to remind them of all the things that they have done to hurt you and to wrong you. And Jesus said, well, do you remember when I let go of your sin? Do you remember when I forgave it? you remember when I don't rub that back in your face and yet you're so quick to do that? Or you're going, man, in this friendship right now, it's just not going, I'm not benefiting anymore. I'm not enjoying this as much. And Jesus is going, is that your definition of love. Give it up for Johnny. You can have a seat. Johnny, love you, but yeah, you can take that. Thanks, man. And so friends, especially those of you that are nines, let me give you some last few encouragements. And for those of us that know nines, here's something that you can put to death. If you're a nine, here's something you can put to death. Your core weakness of sloth, which leads you to suppress your passions your abilities, and your worth in order to avoid conflict. Christ is calling you to bless the world with your unique purpose and perspective. Here's what you could bring to life. Your heart's core longing to know that your presence matters. You can awaken and voice your views, opinions, and desires confidently knowing that you are Christ's beloved child. Your presence matters. For some of our nines, they've, they've settled into this, this sort of spiritual apathy and it's because the people they're dating or the people they're closest with have a spiritual apathy. You see, a nine needs to embrace the fact that their own unique relationship with God is priority 
and matters. What leads to conflict? If you have a nine in your life, here's some things that lead to conflict. Number one, being told what to do instead of being asked. Number two, when peace and harmony are being disrupted. There's this couple in our church, this married couple, like I told you about, who who took the test and discovered they are both nines. I was texting with the husband, and he shared with me uh, a description of kind of what it's been like for them as a married couple, both being nines. Here's what he said. He said, I think my wife and I both being nines has generally worked out well in our marriage. We don't have heated arguments. When there is conflict or tension, we both tend to get quiet and not communicate for a while, which we recognize is not ideal. And then he's about to share this nugget of wisdom, especially those of you dudes that are like newly married, soak this one in. I also have learned, as it has been pointed out to me by my wife in the past, gotta love our wives, when she shares with me something that is really frustrating her. And I respond by pointing out ways she could see it from another perspective that tends to not go over well with her. Amen. Amen. Number three, what leads to conflict? Being confronted directly and expected to state their thoughts and views immediately. How can you show the nines in your life love? Number one, Tell them and show them that their presence matters to you. Number two, it means a lot when you listen to them. When you really listen, don't fill in their blanks, but listen to them. And number three, pursue engaging discussions with them and avoid hostile confrontations. So what do we learn from our nines? Here's what we learn from our nines. That proactive, Christ-like, sacrificial love is exactly what the people around us need. And it's exactly what the nines do best. All right, we are gonna wrap up this series. It has been so much fun. I hope that you guys have enjoyed it and have felt like it's been beneficial to learning more about who God has uniquely made you to be. I hope that it's been helpful to your marriage. It's been helpful to my marriage. It's been helpful to my parenting and to my friendships. So there's been a lot of good stuff here to figure out who God uniquely made us to be and how we can engage with one another. Uh, There's this great quote by Ian Morgan Cron, and he says this. He says... The Enneagram is a tool that awakens compassion for people just as they are. Don't you love that? It's not the people we wish they would become so that our lives would become easier. And sometimes I think we want people to change because just it would make our lives easier. And so the Enneagram is all about helping us really recognize who God has uniquely made us to be, but also the people in our lives who God's uniquely made them to be. So let's go ahead and just do a quick recap of all the numbers. If you've been here for all the weeks, you're really familiar with these. Maybe you missed a week or two, but so our ones, these are the people that are are the reformers. There are moral perfectionists. These are the ones who like things to be right. Who's our ones out there? Let me see your hands. All right, loud and proud. All right, twos. Our twos are the helpers. These are people who are the supportive advisors. These are people who love to serve everybody else. Who's our twos? All right, I see you. Good. Threes are our achievers, the successful achievers, those who are out there doing one more thing. I'm a three who's with me. Where's my people? All right. How about our fours? Our fours are the individualists, the romantic individuals, those people who wear their heart on their sleeves, those creative people. Where's our fours? A few of you out there. Okay. Uh, fives, the investigators. 
the investive thinkers. These are the ones who love research and reading and collecting data. Where's our fives? All right. How about our sixes? Our six is the loyalist, the loyal guardian. These guys make great friends. They are with you through thick and thin. They are going to stay with their families and their organizations and their churches. They love to be loyal. Struggle a little bit with fear, a little bit of anxiety. Where's our sixes? All right, good. Our sevens, the enthusiasts. These guys are the walking parties, right? The entertaining optimist. Pastor Eric is a seven through and through. Where's our sevens? All right. Yes. All right, the walking parties. Our eights. The challenger. These guys are the protective challengers. These guys have a, a sense for justice. They're not afraid to speak up for when things are wrong. Where's our eights? All right. Yes, they are raising their hand very strongly. They are ready. All right. And our nines, we learned about you guys today. The peacemakers, the peaceful mediator. Where's, where are you guys? The nines in the house. All right. Yes, I love it. I love seeing all of you and how God has uniquely made you. And in fact, I thought it might be fun just to give you some real-life practical examples of how this plays itself out in your relationships. So I thought we'd talk, take a walk through how your numbers work when you go to the beach. Because we're at Southern California, and this is important stuff for us, right? So we got we to gotta navigate all of these relationships. Okay, so going to the beach for ones. I know the best beach to go to, and I know the best way to get us there, right? Okay, our twos. Here's my sunscreen. I've got plenty for everyone. Everyone can use my sunscreen. Number threes. I'm just going to get a tiny bit of work done while we're here. You don't mind, do you, if I get a little work done? Fours. They're going to head towards the most secluded part of the beach and stare at the ocean for three hours and say, this is magnificent, right? Okay, our fives. They are collecting the seashells and the rocks and the leaves, and they're sorting and categorizing them and have names for all of them and the scientific names as well. Okay, our sixes. They are ready with a sun hat and sunglasses and SPF 100, right? Because the sun is going to fry you. All right, our sevens. Let me bury you in the sand, and when a stranger walks by, you can jump up and yell at him. It'll freak him out. It's going to be awesome. I know you sevens out there. All right, our eights. I bet I can hold my head underwater longer than you can. Our nines, I'm not sure if I'm going to go. I might just stay home. I, I feel like I might need to take a nap or maybe I'm going to run errands. I'm not really sure, but you guys have fun. Okay. All right, here's another really important one, coffee. How to drink coffee with your number, okay? So here's our ones. I make coffee the right way, and I'm going to show you how to make it. <laughs> our twos, I made coffee. Do you want some? Would you like a cup? Our threes, coffee, it is the secret of my success. <laughs> Fours, breathe in, sip, experience, right? Our fives, I'm picking up a single aroma, a single origin bean. It's with hints of citrus. It's from a family farm in Uganda, I believe. <laughs> Our sixes, my friend gave me these beans, and I think of them every time I drink a cup of coffee. Our sevens, let's go out for coffee. Let's go to a coffee shop. I heard of a new coffee store that opened up, but I also have my favorite coffee store, but I know where my friends are hanging out. We're going there. All right, drinking coffee with an eight. Bring me my coffee. 
coffee with nines. I can see how you might prefer tea. Yes? Okay, one last one. Moving, moving with the numbers. Okay, number are ones. Organize boxes and furnitures before loading the truck and they insist on the right way to load the truck. Yeah, okay. Oh yeah, I'm hearing some preach out there. My, my husband's a one, y'all. I'm, I'm with you in this one. Okay, two, um, our twos, they pack and they make cookies for all the helpers. They're there to support everybody. Threes, they get it done in record time. Fours, they want to pack, but they spend time reminiscing about all the memories of all the things. Fives, they have researched the best movers and they know the most least anxiety way to get this move accomplished. Our sixes, they bubble wrap all the things. Bubble wrap, it is their friend. Sevens, they toss everything into one box and say, let's go. Our eights are lifting all the furniture like a boss. And our nines, they have a to-do list, but they kind of avoid packing everything until the very last minute, probably the night before. Okay, so being unique, it is a good thing. God has created us all to be unique. So let's just look at a couple of our theme scriptures from this um, series. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that fully. Well, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then our other scripture that we've been looking at is in Ephesians 2:10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, it kind of blows my mind that God has created billions and billions of people on this earth, and we are all unique. Isn't that amazing how everyone is so different, that we each have a different um, story, a different, um, well, most of us have different names. It was a little bit of a weird experience I had last weekend. I was in New Mexico at a conference, and the host for the event, she met me, and she's like, Lisa, I'm so glad to meet you, and I'm so glad you're here. I was a little worried you were in jail. I'm like... Not the way I normally get greeted. I'm like, how do you respond to that? I'm like, me too. Glad I'm not in jail. Thank you. Good. Did you have a rough week? I don't know what's going on here. And um, she said, no, actually, I was looking up your name, and the first name that popped up on the internet was this woman named Lisa Tony, who was in prison. And I actually know about this woman because I got married back in 2003 in May. And when Carl and I got married and we um, moved to Chicago because Carl was starting some work on his PhD. And while we were moving to Chicago and I was working on changing my name from Lisa Huber to Lisa Tony, I had looked online and there was this other woman who was living in Chicago with that name, Lisa Tony, who had just gotten arrested. Now this woman, she had sent a pipe bomb in a box to her ex-husband in the mail. So, just a word to the wise, if your ex sends you a mysterious box in the mail, don't open it. This man did open it, and thus his ex-wife, that Lisa Tony, was arrested, convicted, and imprisoned for literally blowing up her ex-husband. So um, I always warn Carl, if we get in a fight, I'm like, dude, you know what? It could always be worse. Just remember. <laughs> 
All right, so it is so cool that even if someone has your name, you're still a unique person. God has created you to be unique, that you have something unique to give to this world. So one of the hopes that we have for you in this series is that you will know yourself, you will like yourself, and you will be yourself. And you know why that's important? Because Jesus knows you. Jesus likes you, and Jesus wants you to be you. There is no one else who can be you like you can. You know, one of the things that I love about who God created us to be and who God knows us to be is that God knows our hearts, that places deep inside of us that we don't often show the world. And through this series, it's been really kind of convicting us of some of those deep core places, uh, places of fear and anxiety, places of strength, and God knows all of those. There's a story in the Bible about a man named Samuel. Now Samuel, he was a prophet. A prophet means someone who could hear from God, someone who would speak for God. And Samuel had a really incredible story, even from birth, because his mom was Hannah. And Hannah was someone who was barren. She couldn't conceive a child. And she was married, they were married the Bible doesn't tell us how long, but some of the rabbis have an ancient tradition that says that she was married for 19 years without being able to conceive a baby. 19 years. What were you doing 19 years ago? Think about something that was a desire of your heart that you'd been asking God for for 19 years. And the Jews actually had a, a, a traditional custom that was permitted that if a man had married a woman and she did not bear a child in 10 years, she, he could marry another woman to bear a child to carry on the family line because that was so important. So this was um, Hannah. She was knife, knife, wife number one. Um, got uh, her husband married wife number two. So two wives, one husband, a whole lot of ugly there, right? They appeared on Dr. Phil multiple times to work out their issues, wasn't really working. Wife number two was very bitter towards Hannah and would tease her and antagonize her about not being able to have a child. So she, Hannah, maintained her faith and would go to the temple. She would show up in church and she would plead before God, asking God to give her the desire of her heart. She would plead before the Lord so much that once the priest, Eli, came and he was ready to kick her out because he, he thought she was drunk, that she was wailing so much before the Lord. But then he watched and he listened and he knew that she was being sincere with her heart in this plea to the Lord, and he prayed a blessing over her. Well, pretty soon, uh, this account in Scripture tells us that Hannah became pregnant. And when she gave birth, she gave birth to Samuel. And so Hannah dedicated Samuel to grow up in the temple, to be anointed as God's chosen one. She was so grateful to the Lord for answering her prayer. So as Samuel grew up, part of his childhood, the nation of Israel was at war with Philist the Philistines. And the Philistines actually conquered the nation of Israel. And as he grew up, it was 20 years of being oppressed by the nation of the, the Philistines that were in power. And it was 20 years into that that the Lord finally said, Samuel, you've held your people together. You have been the one that has kind of kept their identity, kept their faith going, and it's now time to lead them into a military victory, which Samuel did, and there was a time of peace. Then during that time of peace, the nation said, we want a king. We're sick of having judges. We're sick of our prophets. We want a king to lead us like all the other nations. Samuel was like, I don't think this is a good idea, but if you guys want it, okay. So God gave them a king. It was King Saul. And just when Samuel was ready to retire, ready for his golden years, um, Saul really screwed up. He made some bad decisions. He didn't honor God. God got angry. God said, you're no longer the king. Samuel, I've got another job for you. You need to go anoint the next king. 
So Samuel's like, all right. He hiked it to Bethlehem where he met this man named Jesse. And God said, have Jesse bring all his sons and parade them before you. And I will tell you which one is to be the next king. So Samuel did this, met Jesse's sons. And when he met the oldest, he was like, all right, I know this has got to be the one. He's the oldest. He's the wisest. This is going to be the guy. He looked at what was on the outside. And just when he did that, God stopped him. And this is what God said. He said, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looked at the heart in that situation, and that's what he does. He looks at your heart. He sees your heart. And that's why it's important for us to understand some of the dark places in our heart and how God wants to work in them and redeem them. So in our story with Samuel, he looked at Jesse and said, okay, none of these sons that you have brought before me are the one that God is calling. Do you got any more? And Jesse said, yeah, there's one more. He's out in the field. He's the little guy. He's the youngest. And they brought him, and it was David, who the Lord anointed as King David. And so here's what I think is important for us to remember as we finish up this series. Um, That it's a lot of fun to know your number, but it's really easy sometimes for us to blame our number and say, I can't help it. I'm a three. I can't help it. I married a one. I can't help it. It's just how twos are. I'm stuck with them as my boss. And so we can very easily use excuses not to grow and change. And here's the thing. Part of our core values is that growing people change. We change. And so this is a tool that we have brought to you with that expectation and hope that you allow God, as you better know yourself, to allow you to bring that change into your life. So I've got just kind of a final challenge for each one of our numbers. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we kind of finish up and close up with this. This is a way that I want to invite you to ask God to continue to help you change and grow within your number. So for our ones, our reformers, those who love perfectionism, I'm going to challenge you and encourage you to practice gratitude. Rather than focusing so much on what's right, focus on what's in front of you and express gratefulness for what is there. For our twos, Our helpers, um, you're so great at helping others, and we appreciate that so much. But I'm going to challenge you and encourage you to practice solitude, that you need to get out away from being focused on others and really spend some time with the Lord, asking the Lord what he wants you to do next. For our threes, the achievers in the house, um, you guys are so busy. We are so busy getting the next thing done all the time. And our challenge is to slow down to rest, to practice Sabbath, and make sure that is a good and healthy habit that we have instilled in our daily disciplines. For our fours, for our individualists that are always creating and very emotional, I'm going to challenge you to focus and create something just for Jesus. Put all that emotion, put all that focus on creating something beautiful for your Savior. For our fives, who are investigators and our researchers and readers, I want to challenge you to practice fellowship, that you need to make those calls this week and every week to go out to coffee with someone, to go out to lunch with someone, and talk about the things that Jesus is encouraging you to think about. You need to engage in fellowship. 
For our sixes, our loyalists, we love how loyal you guys are. And we know that sometimes you always go to the worst case scenario. And so I'm going to challenge you to begin to pray with confidence. I want you to memorize some scriptures and pray those scriptures. I want you to step out with confidence in faith and hope and expectation. For our sevens, our enthusiasts who are always entertaining others and love to be with other people, I want to invite you to spend some time in nature. Go for a walk where there's just trees, no people, and spend some time walking with Jesus and listening and talking to him. For our eights, the challengers who are always willing to speak up and say something for others, I'm going to invite you and encourage you to find a mentor or a spiritual director, someone who can speak into your life that you need to be submissive to and listen to. And for our nines, our peacemakers, our mediators, I want to encourage you to journal your thoughts and feelings so that you know what it is that you think and you feel about a situation and then pray and ask God for you to take action that you will step out in faith. So I'm just going to finish with this scripture, Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so truly, we are better together.